Welcome back to Absurdity, and today is a weird day for me because I definitely did not realize that Tony is in town. Yeah. So I texted him when we were getting ready to record, and I was like, hey man, I'm online. The outline is up for us. And then he called me, and I was like, oh, I guess he is either not ready to record or he can't record. And then when I picked up, you were literally in a car. So I figured you were like- Accelerating pretty hard, yeah. Yeah, I figured you were in a car- like, so you were going to be late or you got held up and then you're like, are you not at home? And I was like, what? No, I am at home. He's like, okay, we'll be there in 15 minutes. <laughs> and I was like, oh, all right. Uh, so now I'm, I'm, I'm on the way to you. So now Tony, myself and our girlfriends yeah. and sugar are all sitting in this tiny, tiny room. Is that not, I thought, I thought we were talking about sugar. No, she's not our girlfriends. All right. She's my girlfriend. That's fair. Sugar is what I call Natabelle. I'm, I'm Sugar's side piece. That's facts. That's fair. Um, no, I, uh, I'm super happy for this, this, is, this actually. Nice. Because this is a conversation I've been wanting to have for kind of a few weeks now. It's, I, like, it's I told you about it. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I, uh, but I didn't feel like I was able to put my thoughts together enough, A, to talk about it for an hour, but B, to talk about, talk about it knowledgeably for an hour because there's nothing. Like this, this wasn't brought on by any current event necessarily. Yeah. So, um, it, it, it would work as like a segment to yeah, another exactly. episode, but not necessarily. This would have been one of those, one of those times where like pastors, pastors will do this, where they, uh, they have a sermon topic based off of their one punchline or one, yeah. you know, climax line of the, the of the sermon. Uh, and then they're like, oh shoot, I have to fill the other 20 minutes. It's a, 40, content. a 45 minute setup to a one, one punchline. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and um, it would have been that basically. So today I think we actually have some, some good things to say here, um, which happen to be also bad things, but we're talking about um, how Western missionary culture and mindsets perpetuate anti-immigration attitudes. That is not going to be the title of this episode. I'll figure something out between now and when it posts. Um, you never, never tell them how the sausage is made, no, man. I'll, I mean, that, that's definitely way too long to be a title. Um, that sounds like a 2008 post hardcore song. Right. Um, Panic that's what at the disco. Yeah, like a Panic at the Disco. Pre, well, they're not post hardcore, but yes. Pre removal um, of the exclamation mark. Yes. Um, like Chiodos has a song, Baby, You Wouldn't Last a Minute by the Creek. Um, like things like that. The song has yeah. nothing to do with that nah, whatsoever. Nothing to do with it. Um, but no, so a few weeks ago, I was listening to the Bad Christian podcast and just fair warning to you hey, the Bad Christian podcast is actually the first podcast I ever listened to. And. If you go and check them out as a result of hearing what I'm about to say, uh, just be aware, just be forewarned. Uh, it that, literally is the title. bad yeah. Christian podcast. Yeah, they're the, literally, they're bad they, Christians. They, um, the, the joke is that people call them bad Christians, yeah. so they just decided to own it. So the two hosts of it, it used to be three. And actually, if you hear the episode I'm about to reference, you'll hear them talking about the split. But one of the hosts, actually, they had a split last year and... Um, like they're still kind of working that out because the three of them had been best friends since college. Um, but, um, Ew, who keeps college friends? I know. Right. Weirdos. The worst. Um, so the, uh, but they swear on the show. Um, they sometimes drink while they're recording. Say, didn't they have um, like a drinking game or something I don't know. at one point? At one point, probably. Yeah. Um, but they talk about a lot of important issues. They bring on really yeah. cool guests. Like, right. Actually, a lot of what they do is great, but if you if you are someone that can't get past, like can't see past swearing or them talking about drinking or whatever, you're not then gonna, yeah. you're then it's not for you, and that's okay. Like I'm not saying that's a bad thing. They their entire shtick is that they're not for everyone, right? Um, but they did a interview with Dr. Michael Emerson, who is a man who I think 20 some years ago he was he was living in Minnesota in a predominantly white community and he felt the call as certain as ever. I mean, he, he, he's, it may as well have been audible. I think is what he said um, to move out of his predominantly white neighborhood and actually to go live in a predominantly black neighborhood. Um, and it was God calling him on his kind of prejudices and in right, his, yeah. his racial ignorance as well. Um, Wasn't there like white flight involved a little bit or something like that? Or uh, I don't, 
I think, yeah, I want to say yes, that there was like, wrong. there I was something totally that I triggered. I remember something yes. like that. Yeah. There, there was, was something a- that triggered like that, that thought would, would yeah. come in. It wasn't like yeah. he just woke up on a Tuesday uh, and God was like, go to the black people. Like that's although, not, although like that, you know, I mean, that does, I know happen, yeah. that does happen, but yeah, yeah, I don't think that was in that one. So, I mean, that's literally Moses. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's just walking along on a Tuesday. And I, would then have, a, I would honestly love to know the day of the week. Right. That that happened. Not for any the- theological significance. It'd just be like fascinating to be like, yeah, it was Wednesday at eight 30. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the, so he actually does this and he lived in Minnesota. So one of the things that he says in that interview is like, yeah, to, to be able to do this, I actually had to leave the state of Minnesota. I think he lives in North Carolina now and he's lived in this, I think in the same neighborhood or he maybe, maybe has moved a couple neighborhoods. Um, but he stayed within, you know, predominantly black neighborhoods. And he talks in that interview about a lot of racism and racist attitudes that are encountered. Uh, one, one example I'll give you is, uh, he talks about education and how parents say that the two things that, um, that matter are the one thing that matters with school is not the racial makeup of the school, but rather the actual performance of their kids. So they they'd say, I would choose a, like white parents would say, I choose a predominantly black school if they got great test scores. So my, that would be the best choice for my kid academically. But then studies actually showed that, uh, even when public schools, even when predominantly black public schools were, uh, had higher test scores than the predominantly white school, white families had been choosing white neighborhoods yeah. closer in the, yeah. in the school district of the predominantly white school. Yeah. And, and would choose lower test scores over, um, yeah, lower test scores over being at the, you know, being with yeah. a bunch of black people that was there. And, and so he, he talks about things like that. Uh, but at one point he was actually directly asked the question we're discussing today. And it was that moment where I thought, yeah, actually I do want to discuss this. Um, and we've talked about short-term mission work in general on this podcast before. If you go back way to when we were doing uh, seasons for one season, uh, it's season two. We did an yeah. episode, uh, yeah. short-term missionary work with uh, Ben Kreider and he is a curriculum specialist for Briggs Academy um, and is, uh, was at the time a Bible teacher and is just a really good friend of mine. Um, but he is awesome. And that's a great episode that I would listen to if you want a primer for this conversation or not, it doesn't matter to you. Uh, to, I mean, to me, um, it's a good like secondary one, even if you've heard it before, kind of go back and yeah, exactly. So works well. Um, so yeah, we're going to dive into this conversation, but I think the, I think the place that we should start is not necessarily from that question. Um, you know, do the question is do or does Western culture, missionary work, um, and missionary mindset, does that actually, what, what effect does that have on attitudes towards immigration? That's a specific question. And I actually think the first thing we should do as we always do is define what we're talking about. So Tony, what do you see as the current culture or how do you see the current culture of missionary work in Western society? So Europe, uh, America, I guess the Americas. Yeah. Okay. So like the, the, the mission spotlight kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I definitely see that there is not, not an official Dance, I should say. Um, I'd say this almost goes more along with short-term missions again. So I, I don't think you'll actually see this on. I, I mentioned Mission Spotlight, which is an Adventist you know thing where they spotlight certain places where God is, is leading outside of the U.S. I don't think that um, they necessarily do that because I think they do a very good job of not doing what I'm about to talk about. But I think a lot of times the... third worldness. Mm. I don't know if that even makes sense because it's not necessarily the poverty, but it's just this, uh, this level of need is embellished, uh, for donation money, um, or for as, as a justification for going right. So they'll, Oh, these poor kids in X, um, you know, look at what they have to live in. And it's almost, um, It's almost like that. You remember, 
a long time ago where they had these commercials to adopt dogs and they stuck on like um, the uh, uh, Sarah. Oh, yes. What's I her know. name song? Um, oh my word. Yeah. What is her? Yes, yeah. I know. But it was in the arms yeah. of an angel. angel. Yeah. You know, and they just had like the slow motion of the yeah, dogs. Yeah, it was the ASPCA. Like, that, was, that was the exact, yeah. I'm not knocking that necessarily, but you have that feeling of look at all these poor little kids that, you know. Sarah McLaughlin. Sarah McLaughlin. Um, you know, you just have almost that kind of mindset. And again, I don't think I've ever seen that necessarily in mission spotlights. Like I'm not, I'm not here to knock them, but I'm definitely here to say like, I've seen that happen for, for, Oh, this is why they desperately need a one day church or they desperately yeah. need a school or we need to go and help them. And, and that's again, not to knock one day churches or anything like that, but I, I definitely think that they embellish this need. It's like, yeah, they don't have uh, shoes. They're happy. Like they have clean water. You know what I mean? Like they don't need shoes. There's no concrete. Like if they, yeah. um, you know, and, and it, it's funny to me because I think at the same time, it's, uh, no, I think so it, on the, on the point of embellishing the one thing that I, that I know of, and I've, I've heard interviews with, with like firsthand interviews with, with missionaries from the evangelical world is yeah. for a lot of, for a lot of missionaries that are out living like long-term in a place and all of their income is really actually coming from their home church or network of churches. Um, one thing that they're realizing is that they're having, they realize very quickly that they have to um, basically start making things up that have happened and embellishing yes. their time there yes. in order for their church to continue thinking that what they're doing is worthwhile. When in reality, like real mission work is living just day to day life. It's gritty. it's gritty. There are days where or, nothing happens. Yeah. But they have to Years. lie and say every day there's yeah. something spectacular oh, and yeah. there's a miracle <sighs> and you need to give because God is really moving here. And I think that's the thing is we want, and, and this is not a millennial thing. I think we, we need to be very clear. Um, this is not a solely millennial Gen Z issue. Um, people want instant success. You know well, I mean, the majority of those donation want, dollars, let's be realistic, in, are coming from Boomer and, and Gen yeah. X. And short-term missions, right? Yeah. All those leaders are Boomers. Um, they want to go in, Hey, we built a school in three weeks and then we leave and it's, you know, it's vacations with community service. That's exactly how I describe it. And I think there is, it's, how can I, we, we kiss a boo-boo and make it go away. It's like, there might not even have been a boo-boo there to begin with. I will say, I do think the place for short-term missionary work really does come in disaster relief and like where, where there's specific yeah, tragedies, there's but even then it. there are real businesses and things that, that can and organizations that can do that more effectively than, than a small church can. But I do think if you are connected with that, with that place that you're going to and have a relationship yes. with them, which means you can go and actually maximize your and impact there, there and make sure that there's yeah. follow up. Yeah. People who do it right here. My issue is people who don't do it right, ruin it mm -hmm. for people who do do it right, which is continue work. There's follow up. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many people went and build a building and then to go back and it's overgrown. No one uses it because yeah. it just wasn't planned out well. No, what, what kills me, and I did talk about this on that episode with Ben Kreider, I think, um, but I've mentioned it before, um, is whenever people do short-term mission work with orphanages, um, yes. and they, they perpetuate the abandonment issues as a result. You spend two or three weeks getting close to these kids, and then you leave and never talk to them again, never see them again, nothing. Even, and, even, even someone and, who's there for like a year. I mean, yep. that's really considered short. Anyone, le I took a missions class. Anything less than five years is considered short term. Yep. So think about that. Yep. It's because basically at, at, at the point of five years, that's when you're saying, I really am living with you. Like it, this, it this you, isn't a break yeah. from my life that I'm going to return it takes to, you but I'm a, here. It takes you at least a year to learn the culture. Yeah. Absolutely. So that only leaves you four years. And think about what you can and cannot do in four years. Yeah. Well, the, the, I mean, the missionary culture in, in Western society has actually become an industry, right? Like I remember going to youth specialties, uh, convention in Nashville when I was a senior in high school and, and seeing, um, seeing these organizations, this one organization that basically renovated a double decker bus to have bunk beds in it so that your, your yeah. church or school group yeah. could go from I've city to city doing, doing basically yeah. Uh, drive by mission work, right? Like it was it, stuff like that. Like there's entire organizations that have built their, you know, their entire income stream from missionary culture. 
and so they've now become dependent on that culture. So they'll do whatever they can to now perpetuate. I'm not saying that it's wrong to to do things to empower mission work. I'm just saying like it has become very an much industry, yeah yeah an industry. I, I, you know, like I said, I, I've taken five mission work courses now. And all of the long-term missionaries I talk to, they say, oh, no, no, no. Short-term mission work is harder on the host countries. Mm-hmm. It does extreme damage. Um, and that's not to say specifically Adventists. We come from the Adventist understanding of it. That's Christianity. Christianity, um, really anything. Well, I mean, we just talked about Blake Mykoski with Tom yeah. last week. I and mean, talked not about, even religious. Yeah, talk about the economic impact of just giving out free shoes to local shoe vendors and that's the same in thing those towns. Or that, you know, it, it, oh, it, it's almost like it's a way of making us feel better about how our lives are because we can go, oh, rich us, poor them. I hate when someone says, oh, well, Americans are the richest 1%. You know, the the, the richest American is richer than, you know, the richest, the, the, sorry, sorry, yeah. sorry, the poorest American is richer than, you know, the, the richest person in next country. And, and it's like, have you been to X country? No, there's a lot of rich people in that country. Yeah, like Venezuela, a great example of that. And people, oh, mm-hmm. poor Venezuela. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That is completely human made. Yep. The famine, the, the struggle, it is terrible. But Venezuela is a, a cornucopia. Like that, that's a yeah. breadbasket. No one should ever go hungry in a country like Venezuela. But humans have made it so that people can't get access to food. Well, and that's, so the, the other issue with rich you know, rich us, poor them with, with rich us, poor that like, Oh no, they, they don't have as much. I'm so grateful for what I have, whatever. Yeah. But the, the, the problem with that too, is then we project that little microcosm of a community that we just went to help right. onto the entire country and say the whole country must be in this great state of need I, that this same, it, it's like, it's going into a poor neighborhood in America and assuming all of America is like that one poor neighborhood. Um, and I, that's not the case. And I would say, like even the poor neighborhood is probably better off than you think. I've been, I've walked yeah. through and met yeah. homeless communities. Uh, there are some of them that actually like being homeless and they like that way of life. And it's, Transient, yeah. um, but it's, it does come from this assumption that all of this comes from this assumption that what I have as an American and it is American pride that comes through or Western pride, but everything that I have is better than everything you have. And that's why I'm going to serve yeah. you is to help you get your, make your life better. Now, that's not to say that there aren't times where, you know, I, I remember there's a person very close to me went to a tiny little village in Thailand and got them running water, set up a pipe system, ran it all. They had clean water running through the set up a filtering system, set up a well with pumps. Um, but when they came back and everyone came back, they did not assume that all of Thailand was that way. Yeah. They were very grateful for what they did, but it wasn't like, oh, and, and they didn't just build the building. They, what is an actual need? They need water. They provide a need for water in, in a clean, sustainable way. That's what they did. And I go, that's something that's done right. But they didn't come back and go, oh, the tires so poor. You know, and I've been, I've seen people go to other countries and they go, oh, I saw this little girl. She just had this one raggedy doll in it. And I'm like, you're describing, you know, South Atlanta. Like, what are you doing? Well, like, you're describing every little girl that's yeah. ever had a cherished toy. Like, like I have that's toys. That could, yeah, you know how many kids have ratty toys that their parents are like, I, we have a brand new, brand new one for them. They want that one. I don't know what to do. Like it's, and, and again, it's assuming materialism. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a big one. This reinforces this idea of materialism because we have those who have not must be a bit less off than us. And yes. it's like, dude, I've been to quite a few countries doing either short-term missions or, or evangelistic series. Happier, way happier than most Americans I know. Well, I think, well, and that, that's, that leads in perfectly to the last one I would make here, which is a lot of Western missionary culture is just plain ignorant to the lifestyle and cultures that they're going, that they're entering into. Yeah. And so you do project all of these things. Oh, they must be so sad without their iPhones, without an iPhone or a real phone or whatever. They must be so poor and, and hurting. And it's like, no, actually they're, they're doing great. Like, I bet you, th- this is ridiculous that I'm about to say this, but I bet you there is uh there's, there's a lot of people that learned a little bit about Samoan culture from watching the last fast and furious movie, Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. Yeah. Where they actually go to the rocks, like where they go to Samoa and they, 
they meet with his family or whatever. And his little brother's actually in that movie, like the rocks, real little brothers in that movie. But they like, there's this whole thing of it's, it's this weird culture bend of, they have these simple, what look like bamboo houses, right? But these simple houses and, and, but then they have a whole car shop in there and there's this weird, it happened to me and I know it happened to other people around me. Uh, there's this weird brain bend of seeing like high tech car maintenance equipment, but in this like wooden building, um, like a fan. Yeah. They see. Yeah. And, but like, that's the thing is, yeah, these countries are doing just fine with what they have in many ways. I'm not saying like I'm basing it off of a, but I think fast and furious Hobbs and Shaw is kind of, is just like a, Example, an easy example. Well, I was, I was, archaeologists who who go to the Middle East, they understand this a lot. Well, not all of them, but I'll, quite a few of them do. Um, you'll see people living in caves in in the Middle East. Uh, they like to live there because the cave has better acoustics. It has uh, it's a more controlled environment. Like they'll have a plasma TV set up with a you know a generator and a muffled t- like. They have they live nice in these caves, but they're technically cavemen. And it's like, yeah, they have houses, fully furnished houses, but it's mm-hmm. a little expensive to you know what I mean? And so they just go to the cave because it's better. Um, same thing where you know you'll have some people that were they were Bedouins, they used to live in tents, they'll have a a full house, a rich house, a nice house, and they'll still spend part of the year living in tents. Why? Because that's the way their ancestors stayed, yeah. and it's nicer. They prefer it that way because just because it's older or not necessarily as high tech doesn't mean it's better. Yeah. Um, well, and I'll qualify all of this with it. There's probably people, someone listening that's like, well, I want to, it was life changing for me. I loved it. Why are you just slamming short term missions? It changed my life. A, that's part of the problem is like short term missionary work tends to benefit the person going more than yeah. the person that is being served. Yeah. Right. But B, Yes, I, I praise the good intentions that, that short-term mission work has, and there has been a lot of good that has come from short-term mission work. I'm not saying that short-term mission work as a whole is bad. I'm just sem- I'm saying that I don't think we've properly counted the cost of what we're doing, and I don't think That's we've done exactly it as intentionally it. as we should have been doing it. I, I criticize short-term missions. I had a professor, and I, and I kid you not, say the actual words, well, the way I did it, and I just wanted to shake my head and be like, yeah, and I'm sure everyone who ever did this that caused uncalculable damage also said the same thing. You know, yep. I, I there was an, admin, a, an administrator who said this, talking about another instance, completely separate from, from missions, but talking about these people that did, they did a very bonehead, easily avoidable uh, graphic design issue that, you know, was kind of, it made it look not great. And pretty much everyone was ragging on it. And we were saying like, um, did nobody like was no millennial aware that this would look, you know, come across not great. Yeah. And he was like, well, they had good intentions. So, you know, maybe, you know, don't ride them as hard. And I'm like, the road to hell is literally paved with good intentions. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, that's yeah. A Catholic came up with that quote. The yeah. Catholics came up with that quote. <laughs> like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like it, it when, when you can't, the issue that you have because you're too close to it, of course you're going to think, well, you know, I mean, we meant well. Sure, but you burned down Australia. Well, we just were setting a couple brush fires. Yes, but half the state is on fire. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we did, good intentions don't really matter when the effects are mm. devastating. Yeah. Well, I think I, I just tweeted this out earlier today because one of my biggest pet peeves has become when parents say, you know, I just want to, I just want my kids' lives to be better than the life. I want to give yeah, them a better life yeah, than, yeah. than what I had growing up. But then when their kids actually have a better life than they had growing up, they're like, no, you shouldn't have that. Like, that's not okay. Why the- These kids have it so easy. They didn't have to walk two miles through the snow to shoot to school every day. Like, um, but have- it's the same deal as, as the professor you're talking about, yeah, right? It's this yeah. idea of you want the world to be better than when you went through it. Yet the second someone tries something different than what you did, suddenly that's unacceptable. How can you want something to be better yet not let anyone do anything differently? If we do things the way we've always done them, yeah. they'll, things will be the way they've always been. It's a great segue. I, I, have, I do have to go on a quick tangent. I hate that phrase because my dad actually had to go. He lived on a hill. And he went to school on a hill. So we actually walked uphill to school both ways. So sorry, Tony's dad. That phrase actually worked 
with him. And I hate it because he can actually say it. Yeah, he actually can say it. It is accurate. That's hilarious. No, I, okay. So yeah. it, I, th- I think at this point it is worth now changing gears. I think we we have, now you know the window that we're looking at missionary culture through and the, and now you know exactly what we're talking about. I think right. we've and, identified what we're talking about very clearly here. And again, I just want to caveat, this is the negative parts that we see. There are, there are good aspects, but this is a thing that we see more commonly than, hey, look at what God's doing. Correct. Exactly. Um, because that can sometimes be a bit of a smokescreen for all these other things that are underlying. Yeah. So what are some mindsets? Now that we're going to change gears here. And instead of just answering the questions, I think, I think the next phase of this is uh, talking about anti-immigration attitudes, right? The people who are against yeah. anti-immigration, what are some of those, uh, what are some of the mindsets that that attitude is, is kind of steeped in or rooted in? So we're not talking about necessarily why people are anti, why every single person is anti-immigration. We're saying by and large um, and kind of generally speaking or broadly speaking, this is it. Maybe there's someone who is against immigration because like an immigrant actually hurt their family or whatever. Like I'm, I'm, we're not talking to the outliers. We're talking about the, the, the broad spectrum of typical anti-immigration attitudes that you would encounter on Twitter, Facebook, social, social media, protests, things like that. Did you mean to say outliers? Yes. (laughs) That was earth real. Thank you. You mean outliers? Is that, is that why you're saying that? Outliers. What? Pronounced outlier. Yeah. I've heard it both ways. So I say it both ways. All right. All right. I know you're trying to, I know you're trying to pull, pull a, pull a, pull a earth real on me. That's a friend of ours did not know until he was 36 that, Earth, Earth real is actually ethereal uh, for anyone who didn't get what that was reference was. Um, I think also it's good to add about these mindsets that not everyone who has this mindset is anti-immigration. Correct. But at the same time, this is what we see. This is, this is, these are the points of connection that we see. Yes. Where anti-immigration and these mindsets intersect. Um, I think the first way is this idea of like conserving the way of life that is known. Yeah. Like the status quo. Yeah, they're saying we have a certain way of life here. If we invite other people into it, um, it, then it won't. It will change, and they'll they'll blend their culture in or whatever. So the idea being, um, I mean, just think of Miami. Miami is a perfect like you can walk in. Miami is is a country in America. Um, yeah, I want to say that North like Cuba. like it's yeah. North Cuba, right? Like Miami is a city in South Florida. Yet in America, where the main country is English, um, thank you, Siri. Um, in America or in Miami, where you expect that people could speak would be speaking English, like you can walk into stores, gas stations, wherever, and they will literally not be able to communicate with you because they only speak Spanish. Um, there were parades at, during when when Castro passed away. There were parades with with, I'm, and I'm talking like the the Cuban way of uh, wooden wooden cooking spoons and a metal pot and, and pan yep. and banging on and it's going fun. down the streets like yep. they had won the Super Bowl. Right. Like this is um, this is what I mean by people. That That's an example of what people feel will happen is like their culture and their current way of life will erode if foreigners come in and bring their culture with them. So they say you need to learn English before you come here or you need to you need to, you know, get over your culture and adopt ours if you're going to live here sort of deal. Yeah. Um, yeah so very much conserving our way of life and, and conserving uh, you know, tradition, right? But I think as well, it's conserving the look. It's conserving what yeah. I'm used to. Oh. Um, well, I, to me, I think that it's the same thing of the war on Christmas, right? Why, yes. why is there a quote-unquote war on Christmas? Part of it is conserving the look, right? And Claus is a white dude from the North. Um, but a big part of it, I really do think, is this... This makes me feel comfortable. This makes me feel at home. This is a tradition that I'm used to. So Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, um, Happy Holidays, anything that is not exactly what I'm used to is bad and evil and therefore mm-hmm. is, is, is not what I like and I will fight it. Christmas starts in October now. Yeah. Like I, if, yeah. if, if, if Christmas wasn't moving farther back and they weren't starting, you know what I mean? Like, I could see that if that was happening. If people weren't like everyone knows happy holidays means Merry Christmas. Plus. 
Yep. You know what I mean? It's not excluding Christmas. It's including other things. Yeah. But this idea of I will be lost if there are other things. I cannot exist unless it exists only in the manner that it looks like to me. Um, this neighborhood was good until. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I literally heard the phrase, there goes the neighborhood one time. Mm. And I was like, because they're Hispanic? And the person that was doing it was a very, I have to say, like in all aspects except for this particular aspect was a very nice person. No, why? It's just because of war. And they hemmed and hawed and tried not to. And I was like, um, that's actually really offensive that you would say that. But it's because they didn't look like yeah. the type of X, Y, Z that looked like what they looked like. Well, I just saw someone, uh, a friend of mine on Facebook share uh, talking about he was, he was saying he was sharing posts, screenshots of posts from someone else. And he was saying, for those of you who don't think white supremacy exists, and there was this, um, this guy was basically saying, um, you know, white people, we got to marry other white people. We got to keep having white babies. We can't be overrun by these other, you know, these other racial babies. We have to preserve and, and preserve our, ourselves. And there's a real actual, there was a, there was a study done in Europe. I'm going to try and find it and link to it in the show notes. But if it's not there, it means I couldn't find it. Cause I saw this uh, quite a few years ago. Um, but there was some research done that basically said in, in Europe that based on just birth rates alone, Europe would be majority Muslim by the year 2050. Yeah. Because white families are having less kids and Muslim families tend to have a lot of kids. Um, And like, that's just fact. So you literally outnumber them, not by conversion, but by, by literally outnumbering them. And um, this is what a lot of, that's why I say, when I say conserving the look is there are white people that see that and say, that's a terrible thing. We cannot let the Middle Eastern people get in here we can't let them be here. We can't let the Hispanic people get be here. We can't let these other people here because we like the way things are here. We like the way we look here and your way is less desirable than our way. Yeah. So, or, or even just different, yeah. not the less desirable. It just different. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter whether or not there are facts or, or it's just anything different is, is therefore mm-hmm. unwanted. And let, let, let's be clear too. These are mindsets. These aren't necessarily, some people do literally express these sentiments, right? right. But these are mind, it's like these mindset. are, these are things that people may not ever verbalize, but that's what they're it's, implying it's, by what they say. It's a little voice in the back of the head. Yep. And I think that's something that if you don't act on it, that's fine. But I think that's part of the, the reason why part of that goes into that idea of like the missions, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm going to go help them over there. Yeah. Over there, because over there you stay over there in Peru. Don't come over here. Yep, exactly. So, um, and and let's be honest, there is in very many ways overt and open prejudice. Like, yeah. just straight up, I don't like people that look different. Like, I don't. I think you are inferior. I think whatever uh, because you look different or talk different or speak a different language, whatever. Like, open and just overt. I don't like these people. I hate these people. I think they are less than human. That also exists. So in case you guys, you know, I'm sure we're going to get letters at some point to say this doesn't happen. Um, my sister, I come from a mixed family. My sister is very dark skinned and looks very different than me. We don't look related almost at all. Uh, we have a few features in our, in our, you know, face that kind of, oh yeah, I can see it now. We don't look related at a first glance. Uh, I remember she came and stayed with me for a while working um, uh, on, on an internship um, before she graduated with speech pathology. And we walked into, and I can't remember if it was a Starbucks, I think it was a Starbucks in Texas. And I remember there was a guy who looked up at us in disgust <laughs> and then walked out. Looked up, made eye contact, looked at my sister, looked back at me. She didn't see it. Went, <laughs> and walked out. Okay. Now, I didn't have a full-on conversation with him where he was like, I think you're a race trader. Trust me, it was said. It was communicated. Yep. And the hilarious thing is, I'm just as Hispanic as my sister is. I'm just as Latino, Latinx as my sister is. But it was that idea. So it does exist. It has affected us personally. Mm-hmm. And to say that, oh, well, it, it's a yeah. No, it is a mindset. This is a mindset of anti-immigration that happens, which is, if there's any change, it will be bad. 
any change yeah. will be bad unless it looks and thinks like me. Um, I'm going to do some, somewhat of a non-soaker here because as you were talking, I realized that I may have accidentally implied uh, that Miami is not a great place. Um, Miami is a wonderful place. Oh, I'm yeah. simply using like that kind of cultural it feels very different. mix, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. that melting pot. Um, it does feel very different when you're there. Um, but by no means am I saying that's a bad thing. I actually love Miami. I think it's great. Um, I was just simply saying when people who don't want that outcome, they look at a city like Miami and say, that's the worst possible outcome. I don't right, want right, that. Right. Yeah. But no, Miami's cool. Um, there's a, there's actually a outdoor futsal or soccer court that is not a field. Oh, yeah. it, like it, like it's, it's turf that's on a rooftop somewhere. And I want to find it. I want to go to I've Miami and play. Yeah. I've seen yeah. a picture of that. I want to so badly, but. Well, you're into football. Um, I'm, I prefer the real thing. Mostly because I play goalie. And so I like watching it. You prefer the, yeah. I stand and drink water. Yeah. Like I just sprinted 80 yards. Exactly. Anyway. Um, um, I think yeah. the other big thing that, that happens with the idea of immigration is that uh, this is the best. We are the best. It could possibly be. This cannot get any better. We don't need them. It's, it's similar to the first few of the tradition, but it's, this, it's already set in stone. This is the golden age. It can't possibly get any better. Um, which, which I would argue, if you took away all of the devices that we use on a daily basis, thanks to immigrants, um, your life would suck. I guarantee it. I don't care who you are, where you're at. Your life would suck. If, like, people don't realize how many things they use on a daily basis were either a product of immigration or invented by, mm-hmm. as a direct result of immigration. Yeah. Um, but that's the whole thing. It's like, oh no, we're, this well, is as good as it gets. This is there's you cannot add anything by coming. This is this is the they're not sending us their best. They're not sending their best over here. That's what that attitude is seeped in. And in other words, we only want the people um, that can add to what we're doing and make uh, and make ourselves better. But by and large, um, most immigrants can't. Um, they're not sending their best. That's what that that is kind of rooted in, as well as some of the others. Um, but that, that's the idea is I don't think these immigrants can, can add anything to what we're doing here. And I think they'll only actually take away or threaten our way of life. So, but we are better. Well, we love to stereotype. I mean, we love to stereotype. Yeah. And I mean that, that very much is um, whether we've seen them in movies portrayed a certain way, whether we've seen them in TV uh, portrayed a certain way or been told or even grew up, maybe you grew up in a legitimately bad part of town that it just so happened that that bad part of town also had people of other, um, of other racial backgrounds in that part of town. And so you've now stereotyped, uh, you now stereotype based off of that one microcosm of, you know, that bad part of town that you lived in or grew up in. Right. Um, but there are straight up stereotypes that you happen. I do it. You do it. Um, and, and sugar doesn't do it, but that's because no. my dog is perfect. Sugar is an angel. We do not deserve her. Um, this is the thing that most people, are, some stereotypes are true, right? Um, doesn't necessarily mean they're bad, but the problem is when you stereotype, it inherently inhibits your ability to see without bias, without bias or, or without being heavily biased and also heavily influences prejudice, right? Yes. Um, I cannot see you for who you are because I'm so used to, oh, well, Hispanics are always late. I, you know, I, I remember talking to this one wonderful young lady who has views that are very different. She had a very negative experience with a Latinx guy, ex-boyfriend. And so she said, blah, 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 Latins are like this, like that. I hate blah, 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 blah. And I very calmly and very, I, I was laughing because it didn't, it didn't offend me as much as I was like, Okay, she clearly doesn't know because I turned to her and I said, I'm Latino. And you could just see her face just like, er? like, oh. Uh. And she was white, you know? Yeah. Um, it didn't matter. It could have been other, but, but that, it was that first mindset of like, oh, I, and, and I was an older, not authority figure necessarily, but someone that she looked up to. And so to have someone that she looked up to tell her, I think you just had one negative experience. I don't think that you can categorize because my family is. And I think I've met a lot of families from the particular Latin country that he's from 
And they're not like that. I think you just had a bad experience with a bad family. Mm-hmm. And, but that's the problem with stereotyping, right? Yeah. Now, if she had met 35 families and it was that way, okay, then I think you're reaching, you can reach more of a conclusion. Look, Hispanics, we arrive late. We do. But that's not to say, my dad, very Hispanic. He will literally have an aneurysm. Like a part of his head will explode when, when he can't get somewhere on time. Mm-hmm. It's a huge thing for no, him. No, I'm always the first, pe- the first person at parties. Yeah. And yeah. I've, and, no, I've, I actually had to intentionally stop doing that because I was so sick of awkward moments yes. with the host where <laughs> I just, specific awkward moment. yes, like I, I am over being the first at party, but that's like, that's what but happens because they is. tell and me but, 630. But, 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 all right, I'm going to get there at 630. At 630. And that's the problem is, is this is the issue with stereotypes. Um, we stereotype an entire continent sometimes. I have heard more than once, oh, well, they're, they're from Africa. So, you know, poor kid. I grew up with Ghanaians okay, from Ghana. When they would be like, oh, these poor African kids, they'd be like, you, you know, like, we have a bunch of gold mines, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> they're not poor by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, their GDP, I think, is, is higher than most. Yeah, I can't remember, but it was like higher than most countries in, in uh, Europe or something like that. And it was one of those things where it's like, yeah, they're not poor, but we, we just stereotype everything all together and we lump it all together mm-hmm. so that we don't have to think. And it makes yep. it easier for us. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I think it, it really, and it goes back to this, is this idea of ignorance, right? I don't have to think. I'm happy because I don't have to think. And if I don't think, I don't have to, oh, okay, whatever. I don't need to learn. Yeah. I don't need to I learn know anything. You, I, know, I know what I need to know. That's it. Yeah. Oh, no, that, all that you is. All X are like this. Yep. All blanks are like this. Yep. And it's, it is, it is just pure cultural ignorance. And that, and so I, I think that is, I think a lot of these are actually just rooted in ignorance in general. Um, but ignorance, it can be its, its own self. category yeah, as well. It is. Um, it's both an umbrella and its own category, but okay. So I want to now, and I want to point out that the majority of these are not malicious. Understand we're saying it with an X. You can have all these things without a malicious intent in your heart. You don't necessarily need to want to hurt people to have these mindsets. Yeah. I would qualify that with saying just because malice is not intended does not mean that something yeah, isn't it malicious. Mean that it, yeah, I, that's fair. That's fair. But I also think that you can't, you, you can, there are people that think they're, they have without the, true evil in their heart without really, truly trying to hurt somebody, not realizing though, this is how I do think this way. And this is hurting someone, right? Like that's, yeah. it, it is very much an accident to them that they would hurt someone and that. And there are, um, there are moments where that happens. Um, actually, just uh, just recently, there's a pastor in our denomination who issued an apology after mentioning in a um, yeah. in a story of abuse and basically uh, disrespecting and, and seemingly perpetuating uh, myths on abuse by an example. And he ended up issuing an apology, saying, "I thought that I was using this story this way, but it turns out instead I actually." this group of people and that's not my that and i don't mean to do that as a pastor um ask anyone in the lgbtq plus because we've mostly been talking about race but ask anyone yeah. in the lgbtq plus community if stereotypes and ignorance and change has a negative impact on their life yep yep it, it, it not only has a negative impact it has a life or death impact for many of them yeah um hiv patients in the 80s and, and the AIDS epidemic. I mean, think about mm-hmm. how many people. I remember this beautiful story about this lady that literally she was the only nurse slash person who allowed them to be buried in her own family plot mm-hmm. because no cemeteries would allow AIDS patients to be buried. No nurses would help take care of them. I mean, she, yeah. I think she watched something like 39. She helped 39 people, you know, uh, uh, reach their final moments of their life. I think more than that, but their number yeah. 39 stood out. So, it is it it affects ask people in these communities it affects even beyond mm-hmm. race well actually with transgender specifically so the oh, yeah. among lgbtq plus the suicide rate is very very high but one of the things that that research has shown is that uh, suicide rates actually drop for those who've gone through a full transgender 
like a full transition. They've had reass- gender reassignment surgery. They've gone like yeah. the whole nine yards, right? But there's still a high, higher than normal suicide rate for them, even after they have yeah. Yeah. transitioned fully. But it's still lower than what it was pre-transition. Right, right. The reason that it's still high is not because they're not happy with who they are. It's because their entire community still won't accept them and still treats them with prejudice and hate. I I know a trans individual, amazing guy. And I just straight up, I, the moment that they said, because they'd been thinking about it for a while. um, And the moment that they said, I would prefer to be known by X, I said, Hey, do you prefer to, and I I recently, I I make it sound like I immediately did. Um, I recently saw them on uh, one of the, my social media accounts and I added them and I said, Hey, do you prefer the long version of your name or the short? Because uh, I'd been praying for them a lot, knowing how hard that transition is. And they said, oh, I, I prefer this. And I said, awesome. Hey, just glad to know, you know, you're on your way on your journey. Didn't, didn't need to say, I support you. Didn't need to say, God hates you or loves you. or that. I didn't bring anything. I just said, hey, good to know you're on. Yep. Just gratitude came back. Just this amazing feeling of like, man, it's so great to, to be heard, to be seen, to be felt. That's all you need to do. But again, that community not giving them that it, those inherent mindsets without wanting to, oh, I wish you were dead because they also have that. Straight yes. up, prejudice. Yes. But even just those subtle things is enough to drive someone to, mm-hmm. to the edge and think that they have no nowhere out and no way to live and that, and that there's a more release in death than there is in life, which is the opposite of a missional mindset. Yes. Yeah. So, so let's, let's now let's answer the question, right? What, um, how does Western missionary culture actually perpetuate, um, anti-immigration attitudes? Like what are the things that overlap here? What, where, where are the actual intersections between the two answer, the two questions that we've been answering? Um, and, and I think the first is, um, conserving our way of life. Yeah. Um, we yeah. don't like the way that they're living. We may like their food, but we don't like the way they're living based on what we've seen as missionaries. And we don't want that here. We want to preserve our way of life. And once again, you may never explicitly think this, like you may never think those words specifically. It's not necessarily, and I'm not saying I'm reading something that isn't, or I'm projecting something onto you that isn't there, but this is a real mindset. And this really is like, as you said, the voice in the back of your head. But I think that's one of the things that, that is perpetuated by Western missionary mindset or culture is we go and actually we are more convinced that we need to conserve our way of life. And not only that, we become more grateful for what we have rather than wanting to have less, uh, less quote in quotes, by the way. Right. Um, we become more grateful for what we have and that usually only lasts like a month. Uh, and then we're right back to forgetting until we see pictures from our, our, our vacation with community service. And, uh, but that, that is the first one I would say is the, the conserving our way of life and conserving our look. I'd agree with that. I think also this is why, and I, and I've asked this. All right, so there was there was a group that wanted to go to South America, right? Or uh, <laughs> they wanted to go do a mission trip to South America to help these poor people. And I said, oh, okay. Uh, we just got a pack of refugees in this particular town. I won't mention what it is. Um, why don't we go serve them? And the um, the, the 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 pushback. I'm going to use that word. It wasn't, but I'm going to use that because it's nicer. That I got was, it, it told me this is not just about trying to help. Mm. Oh, they're coming here, taking our jobs. You're willing to spend tens of thousands of dollars so that they stay over there instead of helping people who are already over here. Yep. Let's take that eighty, hundred and twenty, hundred and fifty thousand dollars that this is gonna cost and help refugees here. Mm-hmm. The difference is you don't get to go to Cambodia. Yeah, you don't get to go to, to help Mexico. You don't yeah. get to go you, to you, wherever. You, you have to help the Korean people that are actually here and deal with them on a real day to day basis and look them in the eye and not fly away three weeks later from your exact locale. Mm-hmm. Um Forget, you know, I, and that's just refugee. I mean, that and, and it was what's interesting because it was from the exact country that they wanted to go to. We had a, a, some refugees that showed up. Um, 
like a, like a large group of refugees that showed up, and it was so to me it was just like, do you not see what's going on? Um, there were good justifications for going on this trip, but it's like that it, because we want them to stay over there. <clears throat> we don't want you to come over here. Stay over there, and we'll help you. Mm. Yep. Well, and that's and and we'll bring our way of life to you. Yeah. We'll bring like the the Democracy whole we go over the, the whole we go over and teach English thing. Like I get the English is probably already a part of a lot of curriculums, but the attitude that we go there with is, oh man, you're so you're you're so much worse off because you don't know English, this amazing language that the rest of the world speaks, and you have to know what I know, and well, and I, your life isn't complete without this. I'll probably get in trouble for this, but I'll say the whole idea that you can wage war to bring democracy to people in other countries. You're assuming that democracy, A, is the best option for those countries. B, is the best option at all. I would agree that it is, but the idea that we can go wage war against a sovereign nation to bring them democracy. It's actually kind of like, it's funny that you're forcing democracy. Yeah, on someone. <laughs> yeah, that's, yes, correct. Choose. If they wanted democracy, mm-hmm. they would choose. That's how we did it. We didn't have democracy. Then we said we want it, so we fought for it. Um, and that's why it hasn't stayed in a lot of those countries. I'm not saying that there were other reasons. I'm saying that particular reason, is that it's that same mentality. Yeah. Take that mentality, move it over into the mission mindset. It's the exact same one of you clearly need our help, whether or not yeah. you have asked for it. My senior year, I remember I was on a drama team and we. Um, we did, um, oh, what was it called? Beta conference. It was a so we're Seventh Day Adventists. So it was Black Adventist Youth. Um, it was a, basically a youth congress. Um, it was a youth. It was a big youth rally. There was thousands, uh, thousands of, of of people there, probably, and or, or a little over a thousand that were there. And our drama team was actually doing a drama workshop in one of the um, in one of the 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 convention centers, like little meeting rooms or whatever ballrooms. And my drama team, I was the only like overtly white person there. I'm Cuban, but like you look and I'm native American, but you look at me, I'm, I'm white. Um, I've lived in Tennessee for the last year and a half. I'm pasty white (laughs) at this point. Right. And the, I remember over 200 people came to this workshop and I'm on that stage and I'm looking out as we're doing our, some of our skits and warmups, we're doing some improv warm up with them and, and kind of leading them through them. And I remember feeling like kind of like this weird spotlight was on me. Like I felt so uncomfortable because I realized I was the only white person in the room. And this is that feeling is very easily replicated when in during short term mission work, especially they go in, you go into another city, another town, another country in, in another country. And you realize you're the only American, you're the only white person. You're the only, you know, X person there. And you feel that discomfort and you don't want to feel that way again. You want, Oh, it's so good to be back home with my people. It is very much conserving the look. And it's that feeling of discomfort that you have that unfortunately a lot of minority people feel every single day in America. Right. Um, And and like, that's sad, but that discomfort is real. I experience it. And that's why I I share that as a, as an example of like what that situation is. And yes, it very much does happen when you're in a foreign country and then you come back and you're just so grateful to be back with your people. Um, It is. Yeah, absolutely real. Yeah. Yeah. And just like I said, I think the other big thing is, is stereotypes. Mm -hmm. I, I think it just reinforces that we are. You go to a poor Hispanic country and, oh, I've seen the people there. I don't want them coming up here. Yeah, you went to a place that's, you know, poor farming community. We have our own poor farming community. Like, I would hate for anyone who moves into this country for the first thing for them to see is Detroit. You know what I mean? Like, just the, the, just this terrible, horrible part of, like, I am the so terrible, sorry. horrible part of Detroit, yeah, not Detroit, Detroit itself. Not Detroit itself. I'm, there are lovely parts of Detroit, but I'm saying like to go to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The part that we all make fun of, like that looks like the 1980s RoboCop. You know that that's 
I would hate for them. Like, no, 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 no. There are wonderful places to see, but unfortunately, that's what we do, right? Well, and think of how many people in other countries have stereotyped Americans based off of Donald Trump or uh, politicians. Texas, um, fair. Um, so yeah, stereotypes are very real here. So yeah. I, I, all of this conversation kind of leads to this question, which is how do we actually deal with this? How do we wrestle with this and reconcile yeah. it? I do have an answer you for this. Go, well, if you, you want, want yeah, I, I can answer my own question. That's you fine. go, and then I'll build on that. Okay, cool. Um, this is what we uh, call stalling in the podcasting industry. Think, um, think, 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 yeah, no, no. Um, I, I had a thought, but I'd, yeah, I'd prefer to hear what you. Think. I, I think the first thing that needs to happen is we need to rework how we do mission work prep and how we choose mission work locations. Like a lot of, I see a lot of private schools that do mission work. They they'll change. Um, they'll change what country they go to. Even, uh, even our college did this with, with a lot of mission work. You can just go to some random country and the next year you can go to a different country. And um, we don't have a continued presence uh, in these places. We're not building these ongoing relationships um, and the with the communities that we're in. So A, I think we do need to do a lot more work of building relationships with the communities that we're going to and actually finding out what real needs they have that cannot be provided there in many ways, in many ways, you would make much more of an impact by sending the money that you use to pay for for the whole group to go. If you just sent that money to them directly, that it will go much further than your presence there for two weeks would. Right? Then send, send um, one person with the amount of money. Yeah, yeah. Right. And everything changes. Um, but I think we need to do also for those going on the mission trip, not like just the leaders and those who've prepared it. Um, but we need to do more research in the prep in the preparation phase. Like we really do need to learn about the places that we're going, both good and bad. Um, we need to do more in understanding the culture that we're going to enter into. Yes. Um, and and what that actually should look like. Like we need to educate ourselves before we go on these trips. Uh, yeah. I'm just going to go on this mission trip to Belize, uh, Costa Rica. Those are the big two that I always hear. And I think we, um, I think. Do you know anything about those two countries? I mean, I don't right now. I can say that I don't. I've never been on a mission trip to either of those countries. When I went to a mission trip to Brazil, on a mission trip to Brazil, I knew nothing. I still don't know anything really about Brazil. I know a, a bit about this the specific city that I was in, um, and I know that the specific city that I was in was also known for high crime, um, and like had high crime rates. One night while waiting for my ride, there was gunfire in the building next door, and my church members literally pulled me back inside to wait for the driver to come pick me up to take me back to where my group was staying. Right. Yeah. Um, we did none of the prep work for that trip. We had an entire semester's class on it and none of the prep work actually involved getting to know anything about Brazil or the people we were preaching to. Instead, we were told by our professor who wasn't Brazilian, what they would like, which by the way, the first night we got there, they were like, no, he was entirely wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Every yeah. single person in our 18 person group said, Nope, that's not, like they were told by their churches that they went to work with it. That's not at all what was what it was like. Um, but all we did was talk about preaching and preaching effectively rather than actually learning the culture that we were about to engage with. Um, and most of us left without really knowing much more other than getting some cultural experiences and yeah. eating some good food. Um, but that's a real thing. Like we need to educate ourselves on the places that we're going. And that will actually, in many ways, tell us exactly what we can do or what we shouldn't do. Maybe it makes you rethink what you're actually going to do. Um, but yeah, I, and to be honest, before the mission trip happens, there should have been not a scouting trip, but like that relationship should have been built prior to the group going. Um, and there's, I know that happens already in some cases, but I, it needs to happen more consistently, whether that's in country right, or out yeah, of the I country. Mean, I, I've heard of people who do that, but again... <laughs> The people who do that aren't the ones that we're talking about. You know what I mean? Yeah, in like, most, yeah, in most cases. Who think, yeah. who think that in most cases, yeah, but the people who, who think far enough ahead to do a scouting trip to know like what are the actual needs and everything are probably the ones, and I have no doubt that the professor that told me like mine were different, I'm sure he probably did do those things. He probably, they probably were effective, but it's more, it's that mentality of, yeah, we're fine. It's like, no, mm -hmm. no, no. I think the other thing is we need to check ourselves and maybe listen to people around us. Like when, when those mindsets or when we, when, if you are someone, this is what I'll say specifically, if you are someone that is anti-immigration, 
I would strongly encourage you, whether regardless of how solidified you are in it, regardless of how much research you've already done, I would invite you to open that door one more time. Um, talk with um, talk with other people that have a lot more work in this area. Yeah. Um, find ref- local refugee organizations and, and nonprofits that work in your area to to serve refugee populations. Right. Um, do more research about the actual impact of, of immigration on countries and how you currently are benefiting, as you said, from immigration, from the work and products created by immigrants and, and built by, you know, built by, by the backs of immigrants, right? On the backs of immigrants. Um, I, I would encourage you to open that door one more time and, and do more research and, and, and figure and ask yourself, why do I feel this way? Um, is yeah. it actually because of hard data or is it because of my feelings about, uh, you know, how yeah. this idea makes me feel because that in itself is a yeah. flag. Yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah, those are, those are kind of my answers to, but I think as a church, like we need to re completely redo how we do mission work. Unfortunately. Well, the reality, here's the thing. Perception is reality, but it doesn't make it fact. So your reality could be that, Oh, these people are this way. It's not truth. It's not fact. That's completely separate, but that is your reality. And what we're trying to do is, is open up to say, take a step back and realize that. So I, I the only thing I'd like to add to what you said is I think we need to look at what we talk about when we talk about mission. I think mission, the mission of the church was meant to be both international and local. Yeah. I mean, it literally starts local and in the great commission. Um, and I don't mean just an evangelistic series. Um, I mean the entirety of evangelism, um, every aspect of it, going into communities, finding needs. Um, I think if you're going to plan a short-term mission trip, you should have as many or more funds in poured into your community for that fiscal year. Mm. If you're going to spend $80,000, you should spend $120,000 or $160,000 in better math. Um, yep. Pour it into your community. If you can't afford that, then you probably shouldn't go. Mm. Um, I got to be honest now, I, I will never again, I have to, be, nah, I'm not going to do it. I don't ever see myself in the future asking someone for funds to send people on a mission trip or myself on a mission trip. I don't ever see myself doing that. Maybe for other things, I don't ever see myself doing that because if I'm going to ask someone for funds, it's going to be for something to help somebody, not me, somebody else, someone in the community. It's mm-hmm. going to be a basketball uniforms or mm-hmm. um, what, you know, whatever. Insert, the, the, insert whatever it is. Right. Asking the in question, the, the $3,000 that I have to raise to go on this mission trip, what could it actually, what could the economic yeah. impact of that $3,000 or 5,000 or what a thousand dollars? I don't know. What could the economic impact of that actually be where you're planning to go? I remember every year at Southern there was, and now on, now on Facebook has just gone crazy. Um, the fundraising calls and letters and things that would go out every year, every year. It was like, okay, it is now February time for the letters because the, the $800 to, you know, save your seat on the mission trip is here. So now people are going to start asking. And it's like, again, I, I don't want to act like I don't think it's important. How much of that money could be used in the community mm. in Chattanooga? Yeah. Uh, you know, how Just much in the more immediate effective? neighborhood that your church is in. How much more effective would the Adventist message be if that money and those kids were took a year and instead helped the, the community in in Chattanooga? Mm-hmm. Oh, there was an amazing there was an amazing video. I will try and find it again where a guy just pays the rent of random people uh, on the right? street. Not on the street, but like he goes door to door and gets them in a very roundabout way to find out what their, what, what their yeah. rent is. Yeah. Like you'll say, I'm interested in property similar to this. I'm just wondering, you know, in this area, yeah. I'm just wondering what do you pay for rent or whatever. And then once they do, he just pulls out a lot of cash and literally says, I'd like to pay your rent for the next month and just hands it to, yeah. to people. Um, and like, imagine just being able to go 
instead of getting people, this is what annoys me about, I think, literature evangelism is instead of going to people's doors and asking them to buy something from you and then you pray with them, why not give them, um, like, give them hard cash? I don't know. Give them, yeah. hey, and, and then offer to pray with them, right? Give them something and offer to pray with them. Right. Um, do, there is so much you could do differently with the resources that are being spent to go on a vacation with that has with community these, service with attached. The, with, with a lot of these unfortunate mentalities that are undergirding and justifying it. Yep, absolutely. So, hey, I think we've given people a lot to talk, to talk about, to think about. I'm sure someone is mad. I'm sure I'll get a call when someone's listening in the middle of this episode Sony and I'll say, emails. I disagree with you or Tony on this thing. Um, or, oh man, I love this part. I, good. That's what I hope for, right? I hope that this sparks conversation and sparks a reaction in you. And if you are feeling conflicted while listening to this, listen to that feeling, listen to that discomfort. It's trying to tell you something. Um, and I just want to thank you for getting to this point in this conversation with us and for being willing to hear us out on this as well. But thank you guys for listening. And we'll see you next week. Next week.